Hello, everyone. I'm Karen Das. Welcome to Appetite for Discussion TT. Joining me today, oncologist Dr. Akash Maniam. Hello, how are you? I am well, thank you. It's great to connect with you once again. Dr. Maniam practices in the UK. He's also a director at the Caribbean Cancer Research Institute. So Dr. Maniam and I have spent a lot of time discussing cancer. What is cancer? Common types of cancer, other types of cancers, how a diagnosis is made, types of treatment, clinical research, clinical trials. But what should happen when a diagnosis is delivered or communicated to a patient. Now, we know that it's devastating news, but how does a patient keep going when they've just been told they have cancer and also this type of cancer and this stage? So coping strategies, techniques, advice from an oncologist, that's what we tackle in this episode. So Dr. Maniam, let's start with uh, the diagnosis. Now, I know that this was featured on one of our episodes, what happens, what leads to a diagnosis. So you have a patient in your office and you share the information with that patient. We know it's, it's not good news if they're there to receive such a diagnosis. What happens from there? What's your advice, your first bit of advice to the patient? Yeah, you're right. I mean, we did discuss some of these things before, but to be honest with you, it's nice to have an entire segment dedicated to this because it is so important. I think that for most people, the word cancer, as we've mentioned before, carries a stigma, it carries a taboo. And even for those where it doesn't, at the very least, it carries a weight. Psychologically, there is a fear. I think for most people, if you had to think about their biggest fears, being diagnosed with cancer would rank very high up on the list. It carries that much of an impact. And when you're sitting with someone and you've told them that they had cancer, in a busy clinic, a busy hospital setting, you, you want to carry on and say what it means and proceed to discussing treatment and these things. But if you're on the receiving end of that word, your mind might just go completely blank. Your heart might stop. You might just completely zone out of everything else that's going on. And everything else that's said after that might just completely fall flat because you're, you've been dealt this traumatic blow. So for me, I think the first thing when, when someone tells you that you have cancer is, to take a pause, to try to take a deep breath and calm yourself to be able to absorb the important pieces of information that are coming next. It's also important to inform your health provider who's giving you the information how you feel. If you're not ready to discuss the next steps, if you're not ready to hear the rest of it, if you want five minutes, ten minutes, you want to come back next week, that is entirely fair. It is entirely reasonable to have the information given to you in a way that you feel comfortable receiving it because everybody processes this differently. It is also important to understand that while the word cancer has a universal fear, it just means different things to different people. It doesn't mean it's a death sentence. It doesn't mean it's going to be cured. It's a range of everything in between. So it's important to take a moment just to allow that word to wash over you before we can then have a discussion on the next steps. 
And I imagine the fear factor, the fear factor is going to be really, really intense. And to have to work through that, as you just said, to process the information is one, to process everything that yeah. uh, doctor, just sitting in an oncologist's office is intimidating, much less when you've had your test yeah. results and everything laid out in front of you. That fear is debilitating by itself. Absolutely. Some, pa- some patients may not have been expecting it at all. So it can catch, it can catch people completely cold. Some people may have been fearing it and they may have been up all night, all week, waiting for that clinic appointment, dreading what was coming. And then when they hear it, it's it's confirmation of all those fears that they had built up in their mind. And for others, they just think, well, yeah, I knew this is what was going to happen. Okay, I'm ready to do this. Tell me what's next. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. And we see all those different emotions, all those different ranges. It really is a personality thing. But I I want to stress, I don't want patients ever to feel that either of those reactions is wrong. It's completely appropriate to break down. It's completely appropriate to cry. It's completely appropriate to want more time. And you really shouldn't go in alone. You should have somebody with you, whether it's a family member or a friend. You should have some other support with you. Oh, completely agree. I think it's a general idea for any healthcare visit to go with to go with someone you trust, mm. whether that's a neighbor, a friend, family member, or at least someone who who brings a level of calmness and objectivity. Someone who might not be as emotionally invested as you, so that when you're processing all the emotions, you have someone there taking notes and saying, "Well, what next?" Trying to get all the data and the information in a in a more objective way so that when you leave the consultation, you will forget so many of those yes. things. You will not remember so many of those things. You'll be starting to think of questions that you couldn't ask in the moment. But you'll have someone there who has a book with notes who can recap that information with you and help you start the coping process. It was a big loss during COVID for us not to have people in the consultation rooms with the patient for that period of time. I think it was a real shame that that's what we had to do. But going forward, it's definitely worthwhile bringing someone there. And ideally, the same person, if you can, throughout each of your visits so that there is some continuity. So let's get into that coping process. So what happens when a patient heads home and settles in? So I suppose the first thing is to say, yes, you, you definitely don't need to share it with anybody if you don't want to. It's okay for you to, to keep it from family and friends, at least initially, you know, while you try to come to terms with what is going on, you have to be comfortable with it. I think when you're in the consultation room with your doctor or nurse, when you're leaving, get information from them. If they don't give you printed information, take down the name of some websites that they trust so that you can do your own reading at home. What we don't want to see is that when you go home, you start Googling everything because you're going to you're going to have the range of good and bad information, false information, accurate information, everything in there. There are so many good websites out there. For instance, the Cancer Research UK websites or Macmillan, two charities in the UK we routinely recommend to patients because they provide factual and practical information for patients. That is very important because that's going to go into so much more detail than you can possibly get from uh, a healthcare provider. And I think that will make it much easier for you to help 
break the news to your family because you can say look this is what i've been told these are the websites that we have why don't you read up on those websites i don't feel like talking about this right now and at least it, it it eases their anxieties because it gives them something to read but it doesn't press you for that information because you might not be ready to go through all of that you might still be learning about it yourself so for me when we have patients in our clinic up here we always give them information sheets to go home with which contain more information and we give them the contact information for our nurse specialists who they can always talk to if they need more advice and guidance in trinidad that might not always be practical or available but at the very least we can give you the information online we can give you the websites you can go to the support groups you might be able to access that is the most critical part of the coping process by far because a lot of the fear that comes with coping with a cancer diagnosis is from uncertainty and misinformation yeah that's that's important because one one of the things that we discussed in the past is picking up information from other sources and not necessarily from uh, credible sources yep. so people themselves not properly informed they too can give you all sorts of wrong information so i imagine if you were to just blurt this out to, to your family yeah. they have good intention it's just that you know you may have this one giving you this advice this one giving you that advice that one coming with this advice this one telling the other person that person giving you advice and it's just information overload which can also be overwhelming and stressful and add to the whole situation being out of control and that is a critical word there stress i mean even just listening to you say all those questions it, it brings so much anxiety and tension if if someone asks you questions like that over and over again it's so tense and you know in trinidad we have close knit families generally we have a culture of closeness it is often the case that the people around you mean well but that doesn't mean it cannot be overwhelming often actually is stressful because you are the one with the cancer diagnosis you are the one going through the stress but they feel this fear and this stress and they transmit that by trying to make progress they want to know all the details details you don't have details you might not have they will ask you things that you may not have even wanted to discuss but they're already thinking 10 steps ahead on how to how to deal with x y and z and you're still trying to deal with abc uh what are some of the things that we have to consider when we speak to our family members also what should the rest of us keep in mind when a loved one comes to us with this diagnosis both valid and excellent questions i think let's go with the second one first if you are the relative or loved one of someone who's been diagnosed with cancer the best thing you could do for them let them speak let them say how much they're comfortable with saying and don't press them ask them the questions you think are important but don't push ask them questions slowly and one at a time and give them enough time to think about an answer and express it and if they don't want to talk about it respect it and give them their space and just let them know that you're there for them and that they can come to you whenever they feel ready that is the most important thing it will do tremendous good to the person affected by cancer to know that you're there and that they are still in control that they can come to you when they need you as far as the other question is concerned well i think what you really want to know you want to know the stage you want to know 
the intent of treatment? Is it something that's going to be curative or palliative? And you want to know what the next steps are. Would it be chemotherapy? Would it be surgery? Would it be radiotherapy? So that you can start thinking about how to plan for that. If it is something that is palliative, you want to know a little bit about your likely life expectancy. You don't need to ask about it in detail, but at least you want to know broadly. Is it years? Is it months? Because you also, as unpleasant as these topics may be, you also want to start planning because it is very stressful to plan for end-of-life care and have to think about solicitors and things like deeds and who inherits property to think about children and their education and all these things that we never want to confront but with a diagnosis that is life limiting it's something that is important if not necessary and you don't want to do that when you have a few weeks left and you might not be in the same frame of mind or in the same level of comfort as at the start and if it's not if it's curative you want to be thinking about your day-to-day do I need to take time off work? How much time do I need to take off work? When should I let my boss, my employer know? Is there support that they can provide for me? Like for instance, if I need chemo once a week, maybe I can just take that one day off a week. Maybe I can work from home for a few days so that I can manage some of the side effects at home. What adjustments can I make to my my day-to-day? Because money matters. It matters. In, in many cases, we see patients who are the only ones employed in their household. That adds just another layer of stress when your earnings might be threatened, especially now when things are more expensive than before. So we do want patients to think about money. The same charities we advise patients to to contact in the UK have extensive articles and pieces on financial support and money and how how to navigate these complexities. You also want to think about your social life. What can I or can I not do? Can I drink? Can I go out in crowded places? You know, can I have sex? What precautions do I need to take? All these things are very important. You might not be willing to ask or you might be afraid to ask, but these are things you need to know because these are things that affect you and your partner, for instance, at home. You'll also want to ask about diet and exercise. You know, what can I do? What can I not do? Because a healthy diet and a healthy exercise a healthy attitude towards well-being, so mindfulness, meditation, etc. These things are all exceptionally useful. These are all good things, regardless of whether you're counselor or not. You want to start getting those things clarified in your mind early on in your treatment journey so that you can start putting good habits into place. And in the curative treatment setting, for instance, the aim is to try to get you to live as healthy and normal a life as possible to minimize the amount of stress and disruption that the diagnosis places. And in the advanced setting, it's about maximizing your quality of life while you're on treatment, understanding that the treatments won't last forever, but if it's two years, three years, four years, you get the most out of those years to enjoy life as much as possible. It's so important to talk about giving up, well, and not giving up, because I matter with some Depending on what your family structure is like, you may have other stressors. And having to cope with this can just make everything feel so mangled. 
And you might get to that point where you just get so exhausted, you're so tired because the treatment gets you tired, dealing with other issues might get you tired. And it takes a special person to just compartmentalize yeah. things. But you get to that point where everything just, you know, it just implodes. So what happens in a situation like that? You're absolutely right. We do see these. And unfortunately, you also see situations where family members, relatives, etc., who you might not be very close with, suddenly become very close and they don't have a positive interest in how things are going. Those things add tremendous stress and complication and frankly, just noise. You know, as, as you said, the attitude you need to have is you are most important. And as difficult as it is, as difficult as it may seem, as cruel as it might seem, Anyone who is a threat to that or anyone who takes away from your sense of well-being needs to be parked while you are trying to reset yourself and while you are trying to heal. Something else we discussed, the mixing of meds and different types of medication. I think when it comes to treatment of any illness, but particularly cancers and life-limiting or serious illnesses, the most important thing is, is trust between yourself and your treating team the doctors, nurses, etc. You put your trust in them that they have your best interests at heart, that they're giving you the best evidence-based factor to help you. And they put their trust in you that you will be honest with them about what you like, what you don't like, what your interests are, what your quality of life goals are, and what you're taking outside. If you tell your doctor or nurse that you're taking some, some other treatments, homeopathy or herbal remedies, etc., like we've discussed previously, they should not react negatively to you. Because we want to know these things. We want you to be able to tell us these things. It's very important. It can be extremely dangerous if we don't know what you're taking and you're not aware of the potential interactions between what you're taking and what we're giving you. And it can end in catastrophe. It can end in liver failure, or it can just make the treatment less effective, for example. We want you just to be able to tell us. Often, we're not going to say no to you. We're going to look at the evidence. And if there isn't any evidence for it, we'll simply say, there isn't any evidence to say this is the right thing to do, or there isn't any evidence to say it works. However, in some cases, it might not interact at all with your treatment. And we'll say, well, it probably wouldn't help, but it probably won't hurt you either. So if you want to try it, try it. Or you may say, look, I, I think that's quite dangerous. I don't know if it works. There's no evidence for it, but it actually has a good chance of interacting with your, your cancer treatment and it can make you very sick. It's still your choice whether to take it or not, but we should at least have an informed and open conversation. And what about writing, journaling your experience? Will that help? I think it's very helpful. I think it's very helpful to, to other patients. Look, as, as human beings, we, we always are interested in the opinions of others. We're always interested in the experiences of others. That's why social media is so popular. That's why socialization has always been so popular throughout history. Now, if you're a patient with cancer, if you're a 40-year-old woman with two kids and you have stage two breast cancer, you sit down and you journal your experience, you make a blog, you make a podcast, whatever you want. The next 40-year-old with two kids with breast cancer who comes along will have an invaluable resource to look at. Because there's so many things that one person will have gone through or tried that we would never even know about. They may say, you know, I had this chemo drug and these were the side effects I had and, and 
this is what I tried to cope at home. These are the things I did at home and this is what worked for me. Things that the nurses and doctors may never have even thought about. So apart from it being a catharsis for you, apart from it being a release for you to get your emotions out on paper, to decompress, to allow yourself to think a bit more critically and to analyze, to introspect, it can also help the community. It can help others. Well, this has been another productive episode, Dr. Maniam. And you, listener, we hope the information shared today is helpful. If you are on a cancer journey or if you know of someone in need of this kind of information. Now, we spent a lot of time talking about the importance of support, support groups, knowledgeable nurses and doctors. You have access to this at the Caribbean Cancer Research Institute. So, Dr. Maniam, just share with us how folks can get in touch with your team. Sure. Well, actually, this is a very apropos session for us because that is what we are trying to do. We're trying to bridge those gaps, particularly those knowledge and support gaps to provide information on the website ccrinstitute.com. You can readily find stories from other fighters, other survivors, patients, and those affected by cancers of different types. Again, showing the power of writing. But on that website, you can also just contact us. You can message us, WhatsApp us, email us, use the web chat, and we can help provide some of those resources. We can guide you to some of those websites and help to fill in the gaps that you don't feel were filled in the context of a very busy clinic. And it may help to free up your treating team to focus on the treatment aspect. And we can at least help make things a bit easier, ease some of the anxieties and misconceptions and at least provide some support. We've been chatting with Dr. Akash Maniam. He's an oncologist practicing in the UK, but he's also a clinical director at the Caribbean Cancer Research Institute. Dr. Maniam, great to have you on. We hope to chat with you soon. Likewise. Thank you very much.